Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Good morning. Happy Sabbath, church. It's a blessing to be with you again, uh, to be able to share the Word of God this morning. And I'm really excited about this message. It's a message that's very close to my heart. And I pray and hope that it will be an encouragement for each and every one of you. And so, yeah, look, let's have a word of prayer and let's get into the Word today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful once again for this opportunity to hear your voice, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us, Father. We are in such need of you, Lord God. And we pray and ask, Lord, as we open your word today, that you speak to us, that you encourage us, that you uplift us, that you empower us, Lord, and that you draw us closer to you. So, Father, please be with me as I preach and be with each and every one of us, Lord, as we go through this message today. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to continue from last uh, message that I preached a couple of weeks ago. We looked at your calling and we did your calling part one two weeks ago and now we're doing your calling part two. But what I wanted to focus on today was something a little different. I want to very quickly and briefly retouch on the story that I've shared practically the last two times I've preached here, um, which is the story of when Jesus called the first disciples. And what we looked at last fortnight was that there is a very clear calling for each and every one of us. And I hope and pray that we see that. I hope that we can see that we all have a calling. And the two main things that we focused on a fortnight ago with regards to our calling was that we've been called to live a holy life. And we spoke about what that means last, last time. And we've also been called to preach the gospel. And we also spoke about what that, mean, what that means uh, last time. But this, uh, this morning, I want to look at something a little different. I want to still focus on your calling. But one of the things that we really focused on last week is looking at our calling uh, within the context of how sometimes we realize uh, that we basically have no ability to do this work. When we realize that, you know, we might not have the wisdom or we might not have the skill or we might not have the words or we may not be equipped enough. And so what we did a fortnight ago is we looked at the story again when Jesus called the first disciples. And we saw specifically that when Jesus called them, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so fishers of men is what we've been called to be. But what we see in that story is Jesus not telling them to go and make themselves fishers of men. He's saying to them that he will make them fishers of men. All they need to do is follow him. And we saw that ultimately what that means is that we are to make a commitment to follow God, but also more than anything to trust him completely. And if we do that, he will do through us what we cannot even do for ourselves. And so God has a desire to make us fishers of men. He has a desire for us to live up to the calling that he's given us, whether it be to live a holy and a good life or whether it be to go and preach the word of God to every nation, kindred, tribe and people. God is willing and able to help us to do that. But we need to trust him and we need to make a commitment 
to follow him. And so that's what we looked at. But again, I just want to bring back up that story about how God, before he even called them, he basically did an amazing miracle, right? We saw that he asked Peter to cast a net into the water and he asked Peter to do it at the worst possible time, uh, really an impossible time to catch fish. And he ended up catching more fish than he had ever caught before. And so before Jesus even asked us to trust him, before he even asked us to, to follow him and, and, and to make this commitment, he reveals to us who he is and what he is able to do. And so that story about casting the net, remember that that happened when he first called the disciples, at least these four that we know of, which was Peter, Andrew, James and John. And so we're going to keep that in our mind because we're going to come back to that in a moment. But what I wanted to do today is we focused a fortnight ago about looking at being a fisher of men within the understanding that we have no ability to, to do that. And also, you know, dealing really with the, the fear and the uncertainty and the doubt and just that overwhelming feeling that comes upon us sometimes that, you know, oh, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I don't know what, I, what to say, how to go about it. We really looked at how that doesn't matter so much. What matters more than anything is to trust and to follow God. And as we go on a journey with Him, He will empower us and He will teach us and He will guide us and He will help us along the way. But what I wanted to look today specifically at was dealing with your calling, not with regards to feeling um, not equipped enough to be able to do or, or to live up to that calling. But I want to look at today dealing specifically with this feeling that many of you may relate or resonate to, which is a feeling of unworthiness. How do we respond to our calling when we realize so clearly how undeserving and unworthy we are of this calling? How to go about continuing our walk with God and continuing to live out our calling when we are constantly reminded of our unworthiness. And so what I wanted to do was look at that and look at it specifically in the context of the life of that man who cast the net into the water that day, known as Simon, also known as Peter. Simon Peter. We're going to look at the life of Peter this morning and I'm going to share a few things with you because one of the things that we understand, and we say this often, but, you know, I've come to realize that there are many times that we kind of say things and repeat things, but it almost feels like we say them because we know that technically it's true, but we don't really believe it. For example, one of the things that we say a lot is that God doesn't call the qualified, God qualifies the called. And so, you know, we hear that in church and we say, amen, but sometimes deep down, we really don't believe it. And because we don't believe it, it stops us from being able to live out that calling that God has placed on our lives. And so we need to have faith and we need to believe in what God says and what he teaches us. But one of the things that really I find is a common thing with many of us. And, and you know, I haven't been in ministry that long. I've been in ministry only about 10 years now. Uh, but in that time, I've had the privilege to speak to many, many people and minister to many people. And I've seen that really the overwhelming theme that I, I really come across uh, with a lot of Christians is this feeling of unworthiness. Unworthiness. You know, we're told in inspiration that the closer we come to Jesus, the more faulty we realize that we are. 
And sometimes we don't know how to handle that. And when we have a false, I guess, idea of what the Christian life is supposed to be like and what is expected of us, and then we realize that we do not live up to that idea or that standard that we sometimes set before ourselves, uh, many people end up very discouraged. And I've ministered to many people over the years, very discouraged because they just feel like they cannot live up to the standard. And so what I want to share with you today is looking at the specific story of the life of a man that was called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. But what we're going to look at is how much of a human being this man is just like us. In other words, how messed up this guy was just like we are. How much, you know, how he struggled with weakness and defaults and all this kind of stuff just like we do. And I pray and hope that this is going to be an encouragement. Before we do that, I want to go to Acts chapter 2 real quickly. And I want to share something that, that Peter does here in Acts 2. If you go to Acts 2 verse 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. This is Peter speaking, right? He says, For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter is basically defending the accusations, you know, the, the, the disciples, the apostles have been accused of being drunk because they're, they're speaking in different uh, tongues and things like that in different languages. Uh, and he's saying, look, these guys are not drunk, but what's actually happening is prophetic. And, and then the Bible says in verse 38, if we go further down a little bit, it says, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Look what it says in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified, still speaking of Peter, and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And verse 41 says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to them. Peter got up that day and he preached and he preached so powerfully that the Bible says that 3,000 plus people ended up becoming part of the church that day through the ministry and the preaching of this man, Peter. And so we see something like that. And what I want to do is let, let's look at it in, in our experience right now, right? If we were to see something like this happen today, if there was a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist within our church that got up and went to a place and preached powerfully and we could see that the Holy Spirit was with them and they, you know, thousands of people end up giving their lives to the Lord, we will look at somebody like that and we will assume that that is a person that is righteous and holy and good and just, you know, God is, is, is favoring them and, and they're just a really good, righteous, holy Christian. In other words, someone that we would never assume was going through any struggles spiritually. Someone that we would never assume doesn't really have it all there because from what we see, it looks like they do. And this is a mistake that sometimes we make. And this is why I, I can't remember what it was, but I, I did share a message a while back where I was saying that two of the biggest mistakes that we make sometimes as Christians is one, 
when we put our eyes on ourselves, because when we do that, we become discouraged. And the other one is when we put or fix our eyes on other people. Because sometimes we can assume things that aren't reality. And so the safest bet is to always fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted to share these verses before we get into the life of Peter, because by looking at this, it is obvious that God was using him. It is obvious that, Jesus, uh, that Peter was a man that um, you know, was doing great things for the Lord. But when we look at who Peter was as a human being, we see that Peter was anything but perfect. In fact, he was very far from it. And what I want to bring out this morning and the point of the message is simply that sometimes we get discouraged because we realize our unworthiness and we realize how far away we still are from God's perfect example, from the perfect example that Jesus set for us. And we can become discouraged. And because we realize we're unworthy, we don't end up accepting or living out the call that God has placed on our lives because we feel like we're not good enough to do it. And I just want to say to you straight away that it is true that you are not good enough to do it. It is true that you are unworthy of this calling. And it is true that you never will be worthy of this calling. But what we need to understand, and we're going to see so clearly through the life of Peter, is that even though that is the case, Jesus still calls you. Even though that is the case, Jesus still has a calling on your life, a ministry and a purpose for your life. And we're going to see that. So what I want to do is I want to go to Matthew 16 and I'm going to just share a number of things that we find in the, in the New Testament that really reveal to us the issues with Peter. There's no other way to say it. This man had issues. And let's look at the Matthew chapter 16. This is why I think I've mentioned before, I, I don't like when we, we call these guys Saint Peter and Saint this and Saint that, because it kind of elevates them to some kind of holy status that in our mind makes us think that they were perfect individuals when they weren't. Matthew 16, starting at verse 15, the Bible says, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And this is after Jesus had already asked the disciples who other people are saying He is. First, Jesus says to them, you know, who do people say that I am? And they respond and say, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this. And, and Jesus says, all right, all right, that's what people think about, you know, who I am. But then he turns to the disciples and he says here, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you know, Simon Peter, he was an impulsive guy. He was usually the first to come up the front and say something. Simon Peter answered and he was speaking for everyone. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17 says that Jesus was so pleased with his response that Jesus turns around and says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus was so happy with his response. He was literally praising him in a sense. He wasn't worshipping him or anything like that, but he was praising what he had said because what he had said was good. And he says, Blessed are you. Because it's so clear and it's so obvious right now that God has just spoken through you. Well done, Peter. One of the times where Peter did something good. <laughs> but it's not too long after that, that everything turns around. 
Because from that moment, the Bible says that Jesus starts revealing to the disciples that he's going to be handed over to the Romans and he's going to be crucified. And he does tell them that he's going to be resurrected on the third day. But you see, Peter didn't want to hear any of that. That went completely against the plans and hopes that Peter had for Jesus as the Messiah. This idea of Jesus being killed was just not in the scope of what Peter wanted to happen. And so when Jesus tells this uh, to the disciples, Peter ends up around, turning around and saying to Jesus, no way, Jesus, this is never going to happen. And Jesus responds in verse 23. He turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This brother Peter goes from one moment, right? Blessed are you, Peter. Man, what you just said, Peter, you knocked the ball out of the park. Well done. Just a moment later, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. It's like how crazy it is that we, because Peter represents us. Let's, not under, let, let's, let's understand this fact that these Bible characters, they represent us in many ways. And so this reveals how even us, we can go from one moment, we're speaking truth. God is speaking through us. Um, you know, Jesus is happy with what we're saying. And the next moment, he is literally rebuking us. And to be called Satan and an offense is one of the highest rebukes that you can receive from Jesus. And so here we see an evidence of Peter messing up. And you see what was at the heart of the rebuke that Peter received from Jesus that day? At the heart of it was that Peter was not willing at that moment to accept what God told him was going to happen. It went against his plans, his desires, what he wanted. And so some, what we see from this uh, example is that Peter was a person who at times he struggled with God's will for his life when it went against his own will. I want to ask you this morning as you're listening, how many of us listening sometimes struggle with that too? That when God reveals something clear to us and it doesn't go with what we hoped or we had planned or what we want, we end up rebelling in our hearts against God, just like Peter did that day. And Jesus has to set us straight. So this reveals to us that Peter, he had some issues, but it doesn't just stop there. If we go a couple of chapters back in Matthew 14, I shared this story with you guys a while back. In Matthew 14, we see the story of when Peter walked on water and when he called Jesus to, to you know, basically he said, if it is you, Jesus, you know, let me come to you, call me so that I can come to you. And Peter gets up out of the boat and he starts walking on water. But the Bible says that we're looking from verse 28 there in Matthew 14. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29 says, so he said to him, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Another example of Peter doing something amazing. Getting it right. Peter is able to do something impossible. Now we understand that it is not because of Peter's ability. It is not because there's anything good in Peter, but Peter trusted Jesus, had faith that through Christ he could walk on water as well. And when we shared this, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, we, we looked at how this really represents the Christian experience where God is calling us to something greater than what we you know, live and experience in this life. But to be able to do that, we can't do it in and 
in and out of our own power and ability. And so this is righteousness by faith. It's God doing through us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so Peter, he gets up out of the water because he trusts Jesus, that Jesus is able to make him walk on water. And he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And while his eyes stay fixed and focused on Christ, he's walking on water. But the Bible says in verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out and he said, Lord, save me. What we understand is the root cause of fear. It is really a lack of faith. That is the root cause of fear. When we look at it in the Christian context, it is a lack of faith. And so what does this story reveal to us? It reveals to us also that Peter struggled with faith sometimes. Sometimes Peter doubted. Sometimes Peter allowed the circumstances that surrounded him to overwhelm him and make him scared. And through that fear, he began to sink. How many of us also experience this sometimes? We may think that we're going really well in our Christian walk. We may think that we're very strong spiritually and in our faith. And all it takes is from, for one big difficult trial and tribulation to come our way. And all of a sudden we get anxious and we worry and we stress out and we let fear overwhelm us and we start to sink. Now we're seeing so far that there's some issues with Peter, right? But I want to tell you that they don't end there. But before we get into some more problems with this man, I want to ask you another question just to bring back to your memory for a moment. Did Jesus know the struggles that Peter had? One. And two, did Jesus call him anyways? I want you to think about that as we progress in our, in our study this morning. From what we have seen so far, you know, Peter had some issues. But look at what it says in John 18. This is now when uh, the, the Roman centurions or the soldiers had come to take Jesus away. In John 18 verse 10, the Bible says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? We see Jesus rebuking Peter once again. Jesus had told them, Jesus said to them, this is what needs to happen. This is what is going to happen. This is what was prophesied will happen. But Peter still wasn't willing to accept it. And see, now we see Peter really having an anger issue because Peter he allowed his emotions to overtake him. And when he sees this, this soldier grab Jesus, which Jesus told him was going to happen and take place, he pulls out a knife and he cuts off the ear of the soldier. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in an environment where I saw things like this happen. And people that did these kind of things, they weren't normal people. They were people that had issues. They were people that had anger issues. They were people that had you know, I grew up around people that, you know, you could consider to be like gangsters and stuff. And that's what a gangster does. A gangster pulls out a knife and tries to cut you when he, you know, he feels threatened or he allows his emotions to take over. And I look at this and I'm amazed. I'm thinking, what are you doing, Peter? Jesus never taught them to do anything like that. Jesus' character was completely unlike that in every sense and way possible. 
And here we see that Peter, he allowed his emotions to get the better of him. And by allowing his emotions to get the better of him, he ends up doing something stupid. And Jesus has to rebuke him again. What are you doing, Peter? Man, I've been with you three years, man. What are you doing? I can even imagine some of the other disciples as, I don't know, like I know everybody would have been in a, in a really terrible place at that moment and obviously they didn't want Jesus to be taken away and they didn't want him to die. And I know Peter wasn't alone in that thought. But I can't help but think at least one of the disciples just having known Peter and knowing how this impulsive, emotional, emotionally led, doubting man reacts at times that somebody would have seen what he did and be like, oh, Peter, come on, man. You didn't just do that, Peter. Peter had issues. <laughs> but this is a good thing. Because now Peter becomes relatable to us. Because I look at Peter and me personally, I look at the life of Peter and I think, man, I probably would have done the same thing. What does this reveal to us? Does this reveal to us that we are unworthy? Yes. Does this reveal to us that because of the reality of our condition that becomes clear to us, does this mean that we should just kind of not accept God's calling on our life? Or does this basically bring us to a point where we realize how much we need Jesus? And instead of walking away from Him because of that fact, we walk towards Him because of that fact. Remember when Jesus first called Peter? What did Peter do? He said, depart from me. He said, get away from me, Lord. I am not worthy. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. Sometimes God calls me to do things and I feel like, Lord, why are you calling me? I'm not worthy. And then I have to remember that. Wait a second. Because it's almost like we think some, somehow subconsciously, we think that Jesus doesn't realize who we really are. Right? It's like, Jesus doesn't know everything about me. It's like, are you sure you're calling me Jesus? Like, it's like we, we think that He doesn't know us. He doesn't know our weaknesses. He doesn't know, our, 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 you know the things that we struggle with. It's like He doesn't know our deepest and darkest secrets. Yes, He knows all of that. And even though He knows all of that, He still calls you. Because he has a plan for your life. Now we've looked at a bunch of examples that are very clear that show us that this man Peter had some issues, right? But none of that was worse than what we're about to read now. This is a really serious thing that Peter did. And we find this in Luke 22 after Jesus had been taken away. Starting at verse 54 in Luke 22, the Bible says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat among them. 
And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. And I can just imagine that scene, right? Peter is there. And it's cold and he goes by the fire and, and, and he starts to, you know, you know how you're trying to get warm, you know, it's cold. And obviously Peter's going through a lot of emotions and a lot of things are running through his head. And he stands there or he sits there among the people. And this little girl, we don't know how old she is. It says servant girl. Maybe she's a little girl. Maybe she's a teenager. We don't know. But this young girl or lady is sitting there and she starts staring at him. And she's looking at him. And, you know, it's always uncomfortable when someone's staring at you, right? You know, you, you kind of look up and they're looking at you. You look away and then you look back and they're just looking at you. And, you know, depending on who you are, some of us turn around and say, hey, do you have a problem? What are you looking at? You know, stop looking at me like that. You're making me nervous. This girl is staring at Peter. And then at some point she gets up and she says, this man. And she said it in a way where everyone could hear. She says, this man was also with him. Now, from what the people had been brainwashed into believing and into thinking is that Jesus was a bad man and that his followers were bad people. And after he had been taken away, they wanted to really find everybody that was his followers. And so this little girl is making a point to single him out. And she says, this man was also with him. But verse 57 says, he denied him. He denied him. And he said to the girl, woman, I do not know him. Peter denied Jesus at that moment. Look at the words of Peter. I do not know him. This is far worse than anything we've seen Peter do up until now. This is worse than cutting a soldier's ear off. This is worse than saying something where really the devil was speaking through him. This is worse than having, uh, you know, his emotions and his fear taking over him and making him make a, a silly decision. This is far worse than that. The Bible says that Peter denied Jesus. And then it says in verse 58, after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said to him, man, I am not. Now Peter's getting frustrated and Peter's saying, listen, man, I'm not one of his followers. This is the same Peter who when Jesus told them, I am going to be handed over to the Roman authorities and I'm going to be killed. Peter said, no way, Jesus, over my dead body, Jesus. I will never let that happen, Jesus. The same man now is saying, hey, 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 I don't know that guy. I don't know him. Then after about another hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him. This person says, he's a Galilean. I remember seeing this guy with this Jesus man. And verse 60 says, Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And the Bible says immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is probably the one thing out of all of Peter's mess ups that I can relate to the most. That strikes me at my heart the hardest. Because I know there's been many times in my life where I have denied the Lord as well. 
And I hate it. I hate that I've done that. Because he never deserved that. And we deny him times and we don't even think about it. When we're ashamed to mention that we are his followers. When we're ashamed to get involved in a, a prayer or, a, or, or singing a song outdoors so people won't see us. When we're afraid to speak up. When we hear the truth and the word of God being trampled on. We deny him. And what gets me so much in this story is when the Bible says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You don't know me, Peter? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You don't know me, Peter? I'll never let anything happen to you, Lord. You don't know me, Peter? Lord, save me. You don't know me, Peter? The Bible says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This story alone makes me want to weep. Not because I see how terrible it is in the life of Peter and what happened in Peter's experience, but I know how terrible this is knowing that I've done this myself at some point in my spiritual walk. But you see, this makes Peter so much more relatable to me. Because I realized, man, Peter was really just as messed up as I am. Maybe you're realizing that now so clearly. Maybe you've never really seen a sermon or heard a sermon that really focuses on how messed up this man was. And let me tell you something. We can do this with many other Bible characters, pretty much all of them if you think about it. Because the only perfect being human that ever walked on this earth, his name was Jesus Christ. Anyone outside of that name falls short of the glory of God just as we do. Are all sinners just as we are? Are all in need of a savior just as we are? All had and have struggles and weaknesses and issues just like we do. But the thing is, I look throughout the Bible and I see that God chose them anyways. And he called them Anyways, because he had a plan for their life. In the book Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, the spirit of prophecy gives us an insight into how they were feeling after Jesus had been handed over and crucified. Uh, it says here in chapter 3, after the death of Christ, the disciples were well nigh overcome by discouragement. Their master had been rejected, condemned and crucified. The priests and rulers had declared scornfully, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come um, down from the cross now and we will believe him. The son of the disciples, hope had set and night settled down upon their hearts. After the death of Christ, the disciples were well nigh overcome by discouragement. That's what we're told was going on in their hearts. That's what we are told was happening in the hearts and the minds of the disciples. It says, often they repeated the words, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Lonely and sick at heart, they remembered his words. If they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? It goes on to say, because of this, his death had come to them as a surprise. And afterward, as they reviewed the past and saw the result of their unbelief, they were filled with sorrow. 
When Christ was crucified, she says, they did not believe he would rise. He had stated plainly that he was to rise on the third day, but they were perplexed to know what he meant. This lack of comprehension left them at the time of his death in utter hopelessness. They were bitterly disappointed. Their faith did not penetrate beyond the shadow that Satan had cast athwart their horizon. All seemed vague and mysterious to them. If they had believed the Savior's words, how much sorrow they might have been spared. Sometimes we don't really understand what was going on in the minds and the hearts of the disciples, the, the apostles, after, after Jesus had died, in, in, in the hearts of his followers. She makes it so clear. She says, listen, it was nothing but they, it was utter hopelessness. You know, to be in a situation like that, it's like you, you have no idea what's going to happen now. You have no idea what everything meant. Everything is a blur. It's confusion. You don't understand. You're scared. You're worried. You're doubting. All of these things. And let me tell you something. Peter was not a person that dealt well with his emotions. And he was completely overwhelmed by them. But it wasn't just him. All of them were at this point. And then we see Jesus after the third day when he rises again, we see him coming back to them. And I shared a message on this as well not too long ago called Why Are You Troubled? Where he came and he presented himself to them. And the Bible says that they were so scared they thought he was a ghost. So let me recap on a couple of things and I'm about to finish here. We're going to finish up in the book of John chapter 21. That's where we're going now. Peter had issues. That's been made so clear. But out of all of his issues, Peter ended up doing something, something terrible. He ended up denying the Lord, which was ultimately a betrayal. It was a betrayal to the one who had called him. It was a betrayal to the one who had saved him. It was a betrayal to the one that had given his life purpose and meaning. He betrayed him. And now Jesus is dead and they just feel lost. So lost. And in John chapter 21, something amazing is revealed. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going Fishing. <laughs> was Peter a fisherman? You see, you need to understand that the, we, we, the, Peter was a fisherman, but you understand, we're emphasizing the word was. Peter was a fisherman up until the moment that he met Jesus and made a decision to follow him. When Peter followed Jesus, he was no longer a fisherman. He was now a fisher of men. His life had changed. His purpose, his meaning had completely changed. Now he lived for Jesus. Fishing provided Peter with a livelihood. It provided him with an income and a means by which he could support himself. But when he made a decision to follow Jesus, now he didn't rely on fishing anymore. Fishing was his old life. It was his life before Jesus Christ. Now that he was with Jesus, Jesus provided for his needs. Jesus took care of his needs. 
You need to understand this, that fishing represented the life that Peter had before he met Jesus. And now Peter, in his moment of complete and utter hopelessness, he makes another bad decision. And he says, I'm going back to fishing. Is that what Peter should have done? No, because Peter and the rest of them should have had faith. They should have trusted his word. They should have believed that he was going to be raised on the third day like he had said. And they should have been anxiously waiting for him to come back to hear what they need to do now to continue with this new life and ministry and mission and calling that he had placed on their lives. But they didn't do that. And now Peter turns around and he says, I'm going fishing. And what's bad is that Peter was an influential leader. So not only was he making a bad decision to go back to what his life was before he met Jesus, but the Bible says the others then heard him. They said, we're going with you also. Now he's being a bad example. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And it says that that night they caught nothing. And I'm reading this, and this is after Jesus had already died and resurrected. And I read those words. They went out that night and caught nothing. And something comes to me and says, where have I heard this before? What's the basis, like the, the, the foundational story that we're focusing on over these three, uh, really these last three study, uh, sermons that I'm preaching? It's the story of when he first called them. And when he first called them, he told them to do something. And now this is after. And when they are in such a hopeless state that Peter is even contemplating, he's going back to his old life before Jesus. The Bible says they all get into the boat. They catch nothing. And verse four says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? In other words, he's really asking him, have you caught any fish? Because that was the food. And they said, no. And look what Jesus says, verse 6. And he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Where have we heard this before? So they cast the net and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. (laughs) Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea and he starts making his way over to Jesus. Now, let's just take a moment to see what's going on here, because this is profound. When Jesus had first called these people, these men to be his disciples, He showed them a miracle, one that they would never forget because they were fishermen. And so his miracle involved fishing and it involved a catch of fish unlike they had ever experienced or witnessed before. And so it revealed to them who he was and what he was able to do. He calls them and by calling them, he tells them to leave their their life of fishing behind. Remember the Bible says that they dropped their nets, they forsook their nets and followed him. In other words, those nets fishing That was no longer their life anymore. That life was done. They were going to be fishers of men now. But they get to a point where they feel so desperately hopeless. And they do something. They make a decision that many of us have done before. And sadly, there are people that we know that have made this decision 
and this decision ultimately ended up causing them to stop walking with the Lord. They decided to, at that moment, go back to their life before Jesus. I'm so grateful that when they made that decision, Jesus came and met them where they were. Was what they were doing wrong? Yes, it was. It was terrible, actually, when you think about it. But Jesus came and met them where they were. He understood what they were feeling. He understood what they were going through. And he comes and he meets them. And what does he do? He does the exact same miracle that he did for them when he first called them. In other words, he's reminding them of what he did. He's reminding them of what happened in their lives when they first were called to follow him. And maybe there's someone listening here this morning who is at a point like that in their journey with the Lord. They are deeply discouraged. They feel utterly hopeless. They try to do good. You're trying to be better, but it's not working. And you just keep getting revealed like clearly and clearly time and time again how sinful you are and how messed up you are. And maybe you're contemplating going back to your life before Jesus. I want this morning for you to understand that what Jesus is trying to do now is just like what he did with those men that morning. He's trying to remind you of what he did for you in your life. The very first time you got to know who he was. That thing that happened in your life that caused you to want to live life for him now and not for yourself anymore. Sometimes the way that Jesus keeps us in our calling is by reminding us of how he called us in the first place. You see, when he first called these men, they caught so much fish that the Bible said the boat began to sink, but with the help of the others, they were able to bring the net in. This time, there was so much fish that they just couldn't lift the net up. Jesus is like, it's like he's saying, you thought that I could do this for you. I want you to know now that I can do, and, and as the Apostle Paul tells us, exceedingly abundantly much more than you ever thought I could do. It's not over. I'm not finished with you yet. I still have amazing plans for your life. I still have an amazing purpose. Don't let go of me now. I'm not dead. I've come back. I'm here. You know, it's crazy because when you think about it, these men were going through what they were going through because they thought he was dead. And sometimes we go through experiences where it feels like God's dead in the sense that God's not there anymore. Jesus is reminding you this morning, I'm still here. And when Peter realizes who it was that was telling them to cast the net, the Bible says that he gets in the water and he just swims towards Jesus. The man that betrayed Jesus, the man that messed up so much and got rebuked by Jesus so many times, he runs to Jesus because he realizes that even though he is messed up the way he is, even though he has his struggles and his issues and all of that stuff, there's one thing he knows greater than all of that. It's the love that Jesus has for him. It's the mercy, the patience, the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus has for him. 
And so he runs towards him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel this way, please run towards Christ. If you're hearing him speak to you this morning, do like Peter did. Who cares about getting wet? Get in that water and swim and run towards Jesus. He is willing and waiting to receive you with open arms. The Bible says that Jesus then ends up having breakfast with them. And I go down to verse 15 and it says, we'll finish up with this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, I'm thankful that Jesus is not like us because if I was Jesus at that point, I would have turned around to Peter and said, what do you mean you know that I love you? Do I have to remind you of certain things, Peter, that kind of revealed something different? But Jesus isn't like that. And Peter says, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He's given him a responsibility now. But he says to him again, verse 16, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. He then says a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And look what the Bible says here. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? I can just imagine at that moment, the guilt and, and, and what's going through the mind of Peter. Peter's remembering how he denied him three times. He denied Jesus three times, so he has to respond three times that yes, he loves him. And this was grieving Peter because Peter understood why Jesus was asking him three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know what I feel and I can really hear? You know how sometimes it, we're told read between the lines, kind of like read what's not being said, but you can hear what's being said. What I, what I feel like Peter is really saying here to Jesus at this moment is he's saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I love you, but I, I know I messed up, Lord. I'm, I'm so sorry, Lord. I let fear, I let doubt, I let all these things overcome me, Lord. I am so sorry, Lord. I can even picture Peter with tears maybe. I don't know. But that's what I picture. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. In verse 19, it says, This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, He said to him, Follow me. The very first time he called Peter, he said the same thing. Follow me. And he was talking to Peter at that moment in the context of being a disciple being a fisher of men, being someone who is called to live a holy life and to preach the gospel. And Jesus says, follow me and I will do this work in you and through you. I will do the work. Now we see Peter 
in a moment of hopelessness, in a moment of deep regret, in a moment where he needs to be forgiven and he needs for his relationship with Jesus to be made right and whole again. And Jesus says to him again, follow me. Follow me, Peter. I'm not finished with you. I still have work for you to do. I understand your struggles. I understand your weaknesses. I understand why you think the way you do, why you act the way you do, why you do what you do. I understand all of that. Follow me because my work in you and through you is not yet finished. And like the Bible tells us in Philippians 1.6, he who has begun this good work in you is faithful and just and he will finish this work that he has started in you. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel like you're at your wit's end through discouragement, helplessness, maybe you've had a bad experience in church, maybe people haven't treated you the right way, maybe your expectations haven't been met, whatever it may be, and you have some even little inclination in your heart to go back to your life before you met Christ. Jesus wants to remind you today that he still has a calling on your life. And he wants to remind you about that by reminding you of when he first called you in the first place. Last verse I finish with John 6. After Jesus had revealed some things you know, he started speaking about some things and the Bible says that some people left him not to walk with him any longer. The Bible says that he turned to the disciples that were still there and he said, are you guys going to leave me too? I leave you with these words of Peter and I pray and hope that these are our words. If we ever even entertain the thought of stopping our walk with the Lord, we remember these words. Verse 68, but Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Brothers and sisters, may we never forget who it is that's called us, what he is able to do, and that he and he alone has the words of eternal life. And let's continue our walk with him. Let's get back up and continue to walk because he has not finished with us yet. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we pray and we ask, please help us. We can see ourselves in Peter so much, Lord. Father, we have doubts sometimes. We allow our emotions to overcome us. Oh, Lord, sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say, Lord. We allow the enemy to speak through us and we don't even realize it at times. We have anger issues, Father, and ultimately we deny you, Lord. And all of these things, Father God, if we think about them, we, we can turn around and, and be discouraged thinking, oh man, we're pretty messed up, you know, we, we don't want to be like this. But it's a good thing that we realize our condition because as we realize our condition, we also have to and must realize our need of you and our dependence in you. And Lord, I just pray and ask, Father, keep us close to you. There may be times where we go through utter hopelessness and deep discouragement in our walk 
And the devil is always right there and wanting us to make that decision to go back to our life before we met you. But Lord, I am so grateful that you show us through, through the experience of these men that even when we feel like that, you come and you meet us where you are and you remind us of when you called us in the first place, Lord. Help us to remember that and help that to reignite, if necessary, this morning, Lord, a fire in our hearts to live for you and to finish this work that you've entrusted each and every one of us with. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au. New Hearts for Christ will now sing, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back, no This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.